good morning. Great to see you. Hope you're having a good weekend. Man, here it is, the end of the summer. Can you believe this? Wow, what a, what a ride this last three months. Well, it's great to be together with all of you. And uh, this is the second in a three-part series uh, on how we can all stay focused and be part of uh, the mission of Christ and be mobilized on that mission. And last week, Bob Schwan uh, kind of led us on that first step of how it's related to up, our relationship to God. Next week, uh, Chris Townley, our youth pastor, who my wife thinks is one of the best speakers uh, she's ever heard, uh, will be talking about out, how we can relate to other people. And uh, today we're going to look at in, how we can be relating to one another. And uh, so you can kind of look at some of the people sitting around you and think, all right, this is for them. So, uh, all right. Now, the end of, the end of August, man, my, my mind's mush. You know, I've been just uh, going hard, and so have you. So uh, we're going we're gonna to preach for 23 minutes tonight, today, okay? 23 minutes. I've got two white, clean, ironed uh, hankies, and I'm going to give them to two people. And at 23 minutes, you start waving them. All right? You got any volunteers? Anyone? Hey, right here. All right. And uh, somebody else? All right. Way back there. There. All right. 23 minutes. Till you hear the words, you can set your things aside. All right? So ready to go? All right. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from uh, the book of Acts that illustrates how Peter learned to retool and reevaluate who his neighbor was and who he was to be in relationship with. So let's pray as we start. Lord, thanks for your kindness. We pray that you will take the life of Peter and open it up, lay it over our life, and help us to see what exciting thing you have for each of us and how it applies in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 10. Verse 9 is the beginning of this uh, fairly long uh, passage that we're going to read. The next day, as Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. 
Then the next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together, went inside, where many others were assembled. And Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile's home like this or to associate with you? But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was praying in my house about this same thing. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here, waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Wow, what an event. We're going to look at four things in this story about how you can reach across. Maybe to someone in the row you're in. Someone behind or in front of you. Someone who is across the street from where you live. How do people get into our lives? How do we get into their lives? And what are some of the barriers that have to be overcome? We'll find those as we look at this story that the Lord shares with us about Peter's life. Here's the first thing about moving into people's lives. Often, changing how we see the world requires a catalytic event. Often, changing the way we see the world requires a catalytic event. When God wanted to talk to Moses about a new thing, he sent to Moses a burning bush in order to get his attention. When he was talking to Gideon, he had an angel consume a meal in front of Gideon's eyes. When he wanted to talk to Isaiah, the Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah in an unstable part of the world had brought enormous stability. And when Uzziah died, a shudder went through the empire. And in that new state of instability, the Bible says Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. We have accounts again and again of how God introduced catalytic events into people's lives in order to get their attention to see, to hear, to understand a new thing. A catalytic event is a circumstance beyond my resources or control but a circumstance that requires some kind of response. You and I, because we are addicted to control, we will often resist catalytic events. We'll either ignore them as the normal circumstances of life. We'll try to avoid them or diminish their impact in our life. But often, God is in the catalytic event. He is in that event just like he was in the burning bush when he came to Moses. And here we have an account of Peter being introduced to an entirely 
new idea. Why didn't the Lord just come and say, hey, Peter, I got a great idea for you. Why don't you start ministering to the Gentiles? Because he knew that that suggestion was so out of the ordinary, so out of Peter's world, so different from everything he knew, that he needed some kind of event to remind Peter that he was in it. This was a catalytic event. You and I don't have to go looking for catalytic events, nor do we have to generate them. Everyone will have catalytic events in their life. The skill is recognizing what they are and understanding how to see God in the midst of that catalytic event so that it can move us towards a new place. Often changing how we see the world requires a catalytic event. Secondly, often the price of significant change is disorientation. The scripture says that when, when the vision was complete, Peter was perplexed. Now what in the world is this? Keep in mind that Peter was a Jew. And the Jews felt they were special. I don't mean special like, hey, everybody in this room is special. I mean that among special people, the Jews thought they were special. It was through the Jewish race that the Messiah was to come. It was to the Jews that the Old Testament was given. The God who's a speaker gave all that truth to the Jewish people. They saw themselves as unique and uniquely blessed. And because of that, they created a set of laws to keep themselves in some ways isolated and pure and in order to identify and magnify this very specific kind of personal identity. And in the midst of that, God comes and says, this thing you've been calling unclean, this other race, the Gentiles, don't call that unclean anymore because I've called it clean. You catch the scripture where when Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, he says to Cornelius, you know that people like me don't have anything to do with people like you. In fact, people like me don't even go into the house of people like you. When my dad first saw my mom, he thought she was pretty. My mom came from a very religious family. My dad was not. My mom was babysitting a relative of us, relative of my father's. My dad was asked to take my mom home after babysitting. He waited in the car. She got in. As he sat there, being the suave man he was, he said, how would a guy like me get to go with a girl like you? And my mom said, a girl like me doesn't go with a guy like you. <laughs> That's what Peter could have said. I, I don't come to these kind of houses. We all in order to navigate life, see things and we make meanings of it. You and I, we, we make little internal judgments about how people dress. Did you lock the car? Because of who you see in the next lane? How people dress, how they wear their hair how they behave, how they look at us, all these little things. 
We give meaning to those. Those allow us to make choices and to keep ourselves safe and secure. And in order to grow, not just incrementally, little baby steps, which God sometimes uses, but sometimes by leaps, the Lord will invite us to enter into places of disorientation where the way we have navigated life and how we have given meaning to things in the past no longer apply. And since we love being sure, we love the meanings we have given things, we often resist that invitation to disorientation because it feels out of control. That place of disorientation is not comfortable. It's not comfortable for those of us who resist it. It's not comfortable for people who actually welcome it. I'll give you an example of how this works. I, I am a highly detailed person. Give me any task and I can see 40 steps operating at three levels. It just... So I'm going to tell you, when I plan a vacation, I plan a vacation. There's none of this, oh, let's just drive on to the next town and see if there's a hotel room. They, what kind of lunacy is that? No, I know if there's a hotel room. I know how many miles to the next town. I know if the hotel has two pools or one. I know these things. There's none of this sporadic, spontaneous silliness that's part of my existence. And I've navigated life that way. And so we've actually had a lot of great vacations. But a few years ago, I realized I'm forcing all of my family to funnel into how I navigate the details of life. And that doesn't honor how they navigate the details of life. And so I decided I'm going to pay more attention to how Marcy navigates details. I'll tell you how she navigates details. Where I think there are 10 steps, she thinks there's three. I begin to realize that 90% of the time, three steps are just fine. You don't need 10, let alone 40. So I just started most of the time renegotiating how we would plan things. It's excruciating. <laughs> it's confusing. Even if there's just three steps, what, what, what three are they? And maybe four and five or six apply? Maybe they don't. Do I dare even suggest? Would it be considered controlling or not respecting? I'm, I'm at a very disoriented... So much so that just recently... We got to laughing, and my wife said to me, you know, you used to be really good at this sort of thing. <laughs> this, all this planning and all this. What's that about? I decided that how I navigate life was less important to me than honoring who God made my wife to be. But in order to do that, it actually at the moment makes our planning of a vacation much messier than it used to be. Because I'm disoriented. God wanted the gospel to go to Cornelius, this Roman soldier. But it required a willingness on Peter's part to step into disorientation. Where the old landmarks didn't work, the old meanings didn't fit, 
and the new meanings had not fully taken hold and to do it anyway. So when I am looking at a meaningful relationship, often the change I look at requires a catalytic event. Often the price is disorientation. Let's look at a third. Love is a behavior launched by identification. Love is a behavior launched by identification. You may be more disciplined than me, but I can't get very far on shoulds. I should do this. I should go talk to my neighbor. I, I should pray more. I can get about three days out of a should, and then it runs out of energy. There's got to be something deeper with more energy than a should, or it doesn't drive me anywhere. Identification is the incarnation of Christ, where Christ left the sight of the Father, entered into our world, took upon himself our flesh, experienced our pain, walked on our roads. He identified with us. And there was power in that. As God, through Jesus, closed the gap between me and him, us and him. The power of identification is great. And as long as Peter could be here and the Gentiles were here, he didn't have to carry the burden nor the weight nor the urging to bring the gospel to them. And so God didn't just say to Peter, hey, Peter, I want you to preach your sermon to some Gentiles. He ushered Peter right into their home. That was about getting him to identify with them. The gospel's for you, and it's for me, Peter was going to be saying. We are actually together under Christ. His grace and his mercy are for both of us. Everything's equal in front of the cross. That power of, it, of identification was a power that was essential as Peter began to share the gospel with them. Bartimaeus was in the city. Jesus is walking through. He's blind. He starts yelling out. He's making a commotion. The disciples try to shut him up, and Jesus stops, and he turns around, and he says, No, let him come to me. Close the gap. People are starting to bring children to Jesus. The disciples, no, Jesus is busy holding them away. Jesus says, no, let the children come to me. For such is the kingdom of God, closing the gap. And if I'm here and you're there, that's not the same as if we are here. There's a, Young, young men sometimes ask me about the skills of public speaking. They expect me to give them techniques about what to do on the stage. And I tell them that the first rule of effective public speaking is you've got to like who you're talking to. In your spirit, you've got to be where they are at. You're not talking to someone. You're having a conversation with someone. Jesus moved to our side of the table. And he showed Peter how to move. 
And you and I, if we move to someone else's side of the table, if the incarnation of Christ means anything, one of the things it means is we'll usually have to give something up. We'll have to lay something down in order to sit where someone else is sitting. Because Philippians tells us that Jesus, who though he did not think it robbery to be equal with God, laid aside part of that identity and power in order to be with us. Catalytic events, disorientation, identification. I don't see a hanky yet. Should we go to four? What do we got? Three minutes? Four minutes. This is a four-minute point, all right? <laughs> Action cements attitude changes. Notice how quickly this scripture tells us Peter acted. Despite how life-changing and disorienting this invitation was. The scripture says immediately Peter invited these guys in. He had them stay overnight. They got off. They took off the next morning. No grass growing under their feet. Within 24 hours, Peter had gone from the Gentiles are here and I'm here until they are together and he's in their home violating his own laws. Acting. On what he had been hearing the Lord say to him. There is power in our actions because our actions are a declaration of loyalty. Saying this thing, this thing I heard. I'm going to take this thing from the spiritual, ethereal, idea world. And I'm going to thrust it into my material world. And I'm going to get it into that world as quickly as I can. So Satan doesn't steal it. Now this has been a, this has been a busy summer for me. Uh, our, our esteemed and gifted uh, executive pastor, John Oakland, has been on uh, our well-deserved R&E for the summer. Uh, Pastor Brian is out with his wife, Dana, over at the Congo, picking up their four kids. Uh, my very good friend, Sam Summers, died, and I picked up about half of his role temporarily, and I actually get paid to do some of my own stuff around here. But recently, the Lord's been telling me that there's an age-stage group that he wants me to make myself available to. And I could have easily said, well, I'll wait till September because John will be back and Brian will be back. And Last week I called a guy and I said, uh, hey, let's just go hang out. He said, by the way, I got nothing to talk to you about. I always say that because if I call someone, they think, well, all right, what's he want to what, talk to me about? Said, I got nothing to talk to you about. Just dropped by the house. Came by, uh, came by last Thursday. I said, we'll just drive down to the Rainbow Lodge in the Gallatin Valley. We'll have dinner. And we'll just hang out. And if we can't think of something to talk about, we'll just eat in silence. <laughs> and so for two and a half hours, we just hung out. That wasn't about that I couldn't have done it two weeks later. It was about my declaring in the material world my loyalty to the voice of God. Because for every time I do that, I could give you a hundred instances of times where I had the idea and I got stolen because I just didn't get it into the material world. The 24-7 we live in. 
Jesus didn't die for us in the spiritual world. That transaction occurred in the material world. And what he's doing in my life and your life and the lives of other people that he wants us to connect with, he does in the material world. Thank you. Now those are four insights. Therefore, insights for this reason. It is not hard knowing who we are to imagine that we need other people. It is much more difficult knowing who we are than other knowing that other people need us. And there are people in your sphere, in this room, in the chairs behind you and in front of you, that need you. Because just as sure as I know that Jesus rose from the grave, I know that in this world, every one of us walked in here fighting a battle of some sort in our life. And Jesus, whatever other resources he brings, wants to bring people, other people, to that battle for you, and he wants to bring you to that battle for other people. So friendship is not just about affinity and enjoying one another's companies. It is about living a conquering life. Let's set our things aside and finish up. You bow your heads with me and close your eyes as we finish. Thanks for being so attentive this morning and gracious. Really, our, our call is very simple today. In all likelihood, because, because the Christ works in all of our lives, for many, many of us in this room, He wants, you to, he wants to invite you to step into somebody else's life. And it will take courage and faith. It might be disorienting. But just as he used Peter to step into the life of Cornelius, the most unlikely match, he invites you to consider the same. And you could pray right where you're seated. You could pray, Lord, I identify with Peter. The fear, the disorientation, the perplexity that he felt, not knowing what to do or just how to go about it. But Lord, I know I've needed other people. Thank you for reminding me that other people need me. If you give me your grace, Lord, if you give me your grace, your help in time of need, if you give me your grace, as you lift people up in my spirit, a member of my family, a member of my church, a neighbor across the street, someone I work with, Lord, I want to put that into action. I want to take that first step. Would you help me do that? And you can pray just like that. We're going to wait for a moment. and You just pray. Ask the Lord to help you with that, that noble venture.
our heads are bowed in prayer and we're not looking around, but just to honor the Christ whose voice you hear, just to honor the Christ who's talking to you that you're praying to right now. If you prayed a prayer like that, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say, yeah, I, I prayed a prayer like that, Pastor. Yeah, all over here, over in the right, down through the center, over here on my left, way over in the far left, up against the curtains, you bet, way in the back there, yeah, up here in the front, over here on my right, yeah, let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you as we reflect that you have used us. You have used us to bless lives and that you you want to remind us that's one of your primary methods. We know we need others. Remind us fresh and new today that others need us. For all these who slipped their hands up, Lord, Lord, cement in their own heart how deeply you aspire for their lives to be redemptive, encouraging, affirming realities in the lives of other people. Give them that courage to take that first step. To take an idea or a nudging of the Spirit into the material world. And encourage their heart as they do that. In Jesus' name, amen.